0: Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come... So Jesus... Sorry, I will back up just a little bit. He had just fed the 5,000 miraculously. We talked about the several lessons that we can learn from uh, what happened that day. Uh, And ultimately, what's happening here is, as we're reading, is these guys just got the best meal. um, And it came from nothing. And uh, we learned several different lessons in that. But it came from a little boy's lunch. And uh, the Lord multiplying that and feeding 5,000 people. So therefore... When Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make to make him king he departed again to the mountain by himself alone now when evening came his disciples went down to the sea got into the boat and went over the sea toward capernaum and it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them then the sea arose because of a because a great wind was blowing so uh, what we see here is that uh, Jesus knew after they everybody got their free free meal that uh, everybody was uh, ready to make him king. They had found their bread king, the one that was going to provide for them. And hey, this must be the Messiah. He just did a, a miracle. Uh, he's going to keep feeding us, right? And uh, so they, they want to keep uh, following Jesus. And uh, he's obviously very popular and and for great reason. He's been healing the sick and the lame and the blind had received sight. All these miracles that we've been reading—you know, the the man that was uh, healed at the the pool of Bethesda—and uh, now he's feeding everybody, and they believe that they had everything they needed in him. Uh, and and we do, uh, and we'll talk more about that as we continue on in this study. So we were—I was hoping to get through verse 21 last week, but I got a little long-winded, and uh, so we had to kind of come back here, uh, and and or I had to kind of put things on pause. Uh, but, uh, but I know the Lord's faithful and he's going to, to put us back, our minds back to where it was that everybody had just enjoyed a free meal, uh, on the Lord. And it, it not only, it doesn't say that everybody ate a cracker and was automatically full. What it says is that everybody had as much as they wanted. You know, and, and it was in, it was a miracle. There was there was no way for everybody to be fed off five little barley loaves, you know, like, like an English muffin, uh, and, so, and and two small fish. There was no way for that to happen. But the Lord miraculously fed everybody, uh, and everybody was filled to satisfaction. And there all the lessons there that the Lord can fill us and that, uh, you know, we don't have to look for anything else. And so when we come into this, it's, it's hard because I was really hoping to get there last week and, and we didn't uh, to, to get to this part here. But just understanding this mass of people is after Jesus because he just provided for them and they're all excited to be provided for. And they're ch- they're seeking Jesus because they're like, this is the guy he gave us some great, uh, a great meal yesterday. Let's go see what he can do for us today. It was that that type of, of following Jesus. And we'll see as we go through that the Lord addresses that, and he speaks to them about their hearts. Verse, um, now, verse 16 that we read, we, we understand uh, that uh, Jesus sent them away. And, uh, well, that's what Matthew says. Uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus told them to go uh, and that he was going to to stay and pray. So when when the disciples went down to the sea, Matthew adds in there that the Lord had sent them. Uh, down there, So they went obediently. So the Lord had sent them uh, to get on uh, just to go across, and that He said, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to stay here and pray. And they didn't know. they just obey in the Lord, so they get in the boat and they start rowing, and they don't understand what's about to happen, but they they know that uh, the Lord said it, so they're going obediently, and there's a lesson for us there. Well, the Lord's telling us to leave, so we're going to leave, and we're going to do what we're supposed to do. So now they're facing a great storm and and they don't turn back in the midst of the storm. And it's important for us to understand that when God has clearly told us to do something, if the waters get rough, if things start getting uh, tough, understand that as we follow the Lord, our enemy does not want the gospel to continue. He doesn't want it to spread. So we may uh, endure. Now, this, this isn't necessarily a spiritual attack, but in our lives, we may see, uh, we're going, I, I, I'm just going to say, you are going to see spiritual attack the more you seek the Lord and the more you step into whatever ministry he's calling us to. And every Christian is called to some sort of ministry, right? Uh, whether that's just being a faithful servant at work. You know what? This is this is the man or woman that I can rely upon to be here and to work hard and that that our action and our, the words that that match that action should reflect what God has done in our lives. So wherever we are, whatever we're doing, but we have to understand the more that that we're stepping into, we're, the more we're diving into the Lord, the more uh, especially uh, when when we're new to uh, to ministry, when something's new you know, stepping into ministry. I remember when I was here and, and Will, uh, we had just uh, moved uh, back uh, to Maine. This was uh, end of 2002. So this was probably near the end of 2003. And uh, we had attended Calvary Chapel Warrington for a while, but really uh, believed that the Lord was calling us here. So we get down here and after a short time, uh, Will says, hey, I'd like you to pray about being uh, uh, being a uh, deacon here. And so I he he says, pray about it uh you know i believe that i that, that you should be uh, serving as a deacon here and uh, he just the warning just know that it, that that your spiritual attacks are going to come and as soon as you step into that ministry the spiritual attack is going to come spiritual attacks are real they they are uh and uh, just understand that if we know the lord has called us to do something and we're following him obediently and we're not, we're not compromising in our life. We don't have this great sin or anything. We're just following the Lord. And things start getting tough, buckle down and keep moving forward. That's what we're called to do. These guys are, are rowing, and they get halfway across. And uh, as, as things are getting really bad, uh, you, you know, uh, they're, they're no doubt going, well, wow. <laughs> this this isn't good. Now understand, you know these guys who these guys are, and we'll talk about it here just a little bit more. But they're not new to, to being in the water, and they're certainly not new to a storm. But uh, you know, they are uh, they are going obediently. They find themselves in the midst of the storm, and um, you know we'll uh, we'll we'll go back, and we're just gonna we're gonna do what God what Jesus is telling us to do. We're gonna be be obedient. And you know that song we sing: If you say go, we will go. You know, if you say, wait, we'll wait. We'll step out on the waters and they say it can't be done. We'll fix our eyes on you and we will come. You know, that's a, that's a great, great song to remind us of, of that spiritual truth. So um, they may have started to question the call of the Lord. Uh, you know, did, did Jesus really say, were we supposed to go right now? You know, did Lord say, like, leave right now? Because now we're in the midst of this and we might not make it across, right? So there's there's that the that, that question of, wow, you know. So, uh, you know, they got over the boat and uh, into the boat and uh, they, they just start going. And uh, what we understand, if you, if you add Mark's... Uh, account of this, it says that Jesus saw them while they were on their way out. So they're three to four miles out, and Jesus is watching them. So if you com- if you if you put that, you spin that in there, Jesus told them to go, and they went obediently, and they're doing the will of God for their lives, and they're in the middle of the storm, and Jesus is watching them. If you if you if you tie in Mark's gospel account to that, so it's not that Jesus didn't always saw them. Remember, uh, see them. Remember uh, Nathaniel being under the fig tree. And uh, when uh, in John chapter one, when uh, there's that conversation between Nathaniel and the Lord and the Lord just says, hey, while you were praying under the fig tree, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And that revolutionized Nathaniel's life. It changed him. He's like, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. I mean, he's ready to go. I'm walking with you. You know, just understand that the the eyes of the Lord are on us and uh, and He's He's with us. He's He's why He's not aware. He's not unaware uh, that we're going through something uh, as we're following Him. He's there with us in that storm, in that in that troubled time. Just understand that if we are doing what He's told us to do, fix our eyes on Him and keep moving forward. He hasn't called us to do something just so we can uh, be embarrassed and, and not learn anything in our faith. He calls us so that he can use us and he can build us and strengthen us and continue to use us. So it's in, in important to understand that. Now, regarding storms, uh storm of instruction and the storm of co- uh, of correction, uh, just understand there there is a difference between the two. So in this circumstance, we see that Jesus is uh, teaching them of his his presence in the storm and... They learn about uh, you know, a lot about him in this, and others may say that, oh, well, you know, there's sin in their life because they're experiencing a, a, a storm. And we've talked about that, that the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine will be like, if anything hard happens in your life, and uh, Shane and, and Sarah have been so faithful to say that the, you know when they came out of that church, they were being taught that you're only supposed to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, so, like supernaturally bound from one mountain to another. No, that's silly. That's not the way it's supposed to go. Just understanding that uh, just just because there's a storm in our life doesn't mean that the Lord is correcting us for something. He might be instructing us and showing us something and building us, understanding that He, he is uh, he's at work. So remember, the, like I said, these guys are fishermen. They're men of the water, and they're not unfamiliar with bad waters, and, and they knew bad waters. They understood things are not good right now, you know, and they're fighting, and they're going through. And, uh, you know, remember Jesus calming the storm? You know when this big storm's going on, and these guys are freaking out, thinking they're dying. Where was Jesus? Right, he was sleeping. Right, he was. Jesus was sleeping. They go and wake him up, and uh, Matt and I'll, I'll share with you here uh, Matthew chapter eight verses twenty-three through twenty-seven. It says, "Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep." Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. (laughs) But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So, you know. These guys have experienced storm. They have experienced Christ in a storm, and uh, they are they're dealing with a lot, and uh, this it's an overwhelming thing. There's a great storm, and they're trying to they're halfway across. I mean, my uh, my wrestling coach used to have a, have a joke about basketball players, just because it's wrestling and basketball. And, and he used to say, you know, a, a wrestler and a basketball player are in a race across uh, you know a lake, and uh, you know the wrestlers all set basketball players all set they start going they get halfway across and everybody starts getting tired the wrestler just says you know what i got to keep going he said the uh, basketball player turned around and went all the way back so that's just a little joke (laughs) Got, got halfway it was just always a joke about you know wrestlers being tough and basketball players not so bad joke i probably shouldn't have shared it but yeah anyways yeah so but they're halfway across they're at a point of no return they can't go anywhere verse 19 so when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They were Then they willingly accepted him, uh, received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So uh, Matthew shares that this was in the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know you can't see the waves are going all over the place uh, and uh, you're halfway across. And then they see Jesus walking on the water and they're afraid. Now, I don't know that any of us would be in the middle of that and see somebody walking on water. Wouldn't be freaked out. (laughs) right right just just put ourselves in that yeah you, you ever been in that spot where you know it's dark and you're walking through something and it just you know you were just in that room but when it's dark or it's, it's extra creepy or whatever but uh, these guys are out in the middle of a storm on the sea a uh, sea of galilee they're out there rowing and all of a sudden jesus is walking towards them and they think he's a ghost so they're scared they're automatically frightened and the lord calms their fear And, uh, you know, they have that natural human response. And Jesus knows their fear and addresses it. He says, it is, I do not be afraid. Now, Matthew adds a good portion to this. So we're going to look at Matthew. uh, We're going to add Matthew's uh, account to what we're studying here. Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 33. And Peter, when Jesus said, it is, I do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, "O you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Isaiah 42, 43 verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the waters, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Just understanding that in the midst of that storm, Jesus was right there. They couldn't see him, and they didn't know that he could see them struggling. But then he walks right out to them and lets them know, it's a, it, it's me, do not be afraid. And then we had the, the added part there from Matthew, and it's a blessing to see that, that uh, you know, Peter had an extra lesson to learn of, uh, of trusting in the Lord and keeping his eyes set on the Lord. Verse 21 says they willingly received him into the boat. No kidding, <laughs> right? You're in the middle of the storm and Jesus is walking out there You're like, yep, yeah, we'll get, get him in here right yeah remember the last time you know when when the storm's going crazy get him in and, and everything was fine it says uh you know just the fact that that everything could could end right there uh and uh that, that jesus was uh there to calm everything for them i'm sure was uh, a total blessing to them and we saw that they they praised him so so now we're going to uh, study several questions from the crowd and Jesus' response to them. So my hope was to finish that out last week. I didn't, so now we're picking up where I'd hoped to, but the Lord had different plans, I guess. So, uh, so John uh, chapter 6, verse 22. And on the following day, when the people uh, who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except... One which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread uh, after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people, uh, when the people, therefore, saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side they said to him rabbi when did you come here so everybody's looking for Jesus it's not a shock they just uh, uh, witnessed the miraculous uh, feeding and uh, they had seen him and uh, heard him uh, seen him ministering heard him speak uh, so they're they're seeking Jesus and uh, you know they couldn't find him but uh, they knew that he wasn't in the boat when the disciples left and and he also wasn't there anymore so the disciples are gone, and Jesus is gone. But they're like, "Wait, he wasn't in the boat. We watched, and uh, he wasn't in the boat when they left. So how did he get here?" It was their question. So they they couldn't find him, and uh, they're trying to figure that out. But uh, then then we see that they all jump in together. And I just wrote in here they were boat pooling, you know, carpooling. So they all, you know, no doubt, hey, just just get in. We're gonna go chase, him. we know where they went. So they all they all boat pool and go across the the waters and they immediately ask him how he got there now I imagine the disciples might have had interesting looks on their face when the question happened you know you know, how did you get here Like, boy do we have a story to tell you you know but it wasn't their time their turn to talk so uh, Jesus answered them in verse 26 and said to them most assuredly I say to you you seek me not because you saw the signs but because you ate the loaves and were filled do not labor for food, for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So instead of telling them how he got there and everything, Jesus has uh, something else and you know, how did he get there and why he got there, he tells them, you know, why they came. So you know, how did how did you get here and he's and he goes way past that and goes, I'm going to tell you why you came and why you're you know, searching for me. And, you know, they're concerned about the physical provision and, and they're not seeking him for what he offered spiritually. You know, there's a carnal need there and versus an eternal need uh, that they're not seeing. They're not understanding. So the Lord is, is opening their eyes and begins to open their eyes to that right now. Verse 28 says, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So Jesus answers their question with the best answer. He doesn't he doesn't go through a list of do's and don'ts. Okay, so if you want to be saved, uh, and and everything, this is what you need to do. You know, okay, you got your, you got your your scrolls out and you know, get your your pen and your your ink and start dipping it. We're going to we're going to go through a lesson. Jesus has a very simple answer for them. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's it. That, that was, that was what he said. You know, how, how can we, it says, uh, you know, how may we work the works of God is what they say. And he says, believe in me. Essentially is what he's saying. Believe in him uh, whom he sent. So uh, we must believe in Jesus Christ and our works don't save us. You know, faith in him does. And, and these are going to be familiar verses to you, but as you see them. Uh, It's important to understand that we uh, not only understand this, but that that we're so familiar with these verses that when we're asked, we can share those things. But they're always a constant reminder to us also. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Acts chapter uh, 16, and there's a little bit to read here, so bear with me. But hopefully you can follow along on there. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and uh, the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas had been thrown in prison. They had been beat, and uh, they're in shackles. And uh, we're going to see here that in their circumstance, they turn to God, and they're, they're praising God. And we're going to see how that sparks believing faith in the Philippian jailer. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners to have fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Failure was not an option. His, his job was to keep those, those uh, prisoners in there. And if he had failed at his job, he was going to lose his life anyway. So he was about ready to take his life. Verse 28 says, But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his house were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with his with his household. So what we see here is this miraculous thing that happens. It's miraculous that Paul and Silas have peace after just being beaten and that they're sitting there, that they have the peace of God in their hearts, that they can sit and it says that they were uh, singing, uh, they were praying and singing hymns, no doubt blessing everybody around them. There's probably not a whole lot of singing happening. That prison wasn't like the prisons these days. It was not fun to be there. And you're in stocks. Stocks are meant to be uncomfortable and chains you know, stocks where you, you know, put your head through or whatever, you know, and they're just singing, praising God. And the Lord causes an earthquake and the doors open up and all the chains fall off. And this guy says, Oh my goodness, I just lost everybody. And he's about to kill himself. And Paul stops him and tells him, no, don't do yourself any harm. We're, we're right here. His response, he gets a light, he runs in. And what is his response? His question is, what must I do to be saved? What do I what are, no doubt heard the songs, no doubt heard the prayers, and he knew there was something different about these guys. So the first recorded words we have of this Philippian jailer were about salvation, and he knew that he knew he needed. There was something when he saw all this that, that wait a minute, there, this is true faith, and as they're, as they're praising the Lord and, and, and praying in this time, you know you know God had gotten his, gotten his attention through this. Hey, you hear those guys singing in there? You hear him praying and, whoa, <laughs> everything is, you know, until that moment, uh, you know, they were regular prisoners and, and God had heard their prayers and the earthquake, you know, opened the doors and, and the chains were loose and, and the jailer is about ready to take his life. And, you know, uh, that uh, everything is there. He's about to take his life. And we see here that he had a family and that God, God used Paul to save this man's life and then to save his soul. And not only that, but his family's. And his first recorded words were, what must I do to be saved? And he knew that they had something uh, that was different than everybody else that he had been in charge of and, and what they were doing. And he focused, uh, you know, the, uh, you know that regular focus of, you know what, I'm just going to go to work. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to get my money and, and all these things. And uh, it's just another day. Just uh, something that, uh, you know, I'm just going to go to work, do what I need to do, go home and, uh, you know, eat some cakes that have been baked up and whatever it just it probably thought it was a normal day it had no idea that everything was going to change for him and and when that all happened he knew that he needed to be saved and uh, he was now focused on the eternal whatever whatever it was you know I don't I don't know his mindset or whatever but I don't believe he went to work going hey you know I, I wonder how I must be saved I what what he witnessed in the Christians lives uh, was was something that drew him and that that spoke to his heart. And, uh, and this man is, uh, he just says, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? And, you know, what we see here in him was he was saved because he believed and then he was baptized. You know believers should should all be baptized it's an outward expression of an inward change, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on baptism. I think we've covered that several times, and we've gotten right into it so his works came after his salvation, you know the work of 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 ministering and and then it says that he was he was taking care of their wounds and everything that came after his salvation you know the lord was had ministered to him and had put a joy in his heart, and he's like, oh man, these guys these guys just shared the gospel with me." And with my family, and and uh, as they're sharing and everything, he's just ministering, and he, he's he's blessed. His life has been changed. He had no idea it was going to happen. Romans ten verses eight through ten says, "But what does it say? The word is near you, and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that the Lord that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved." For with the heart one believes under righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made under salvation. Verse thirteen says, "For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." So there's that that need that this man uh, didn't didn't wasn't really aware that he needed until then. And uh, you know when when they ask, you know what must we you know what must we do to work the works of God? And uh, you know you need to believe in Him and whom He sent. Whom he sent. So when this guy heard, you know what 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 is going on here? You guys just were singing, and now everything's open. God just did something. How can I be saved? And he heard the gospel and responded to it. And that's it. That's the simple the simple understanding of how one is saved. You hear the gospel, you believe it. You ask the Lord to forgive you your sin, and and He does. That's that's salvation. We hear the gospel and we respond to it. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So now understanding that both Romans and Ephesians were written by Paul. And uh, this was one that had based his life based on uh, the salvation through his works. He believed that as, as a uh, Pharisee, as a religious leader in Israel, that he was saved by uh, his bloodline and, and uh, the good works that he did. And now he's writing uh, in in Ephesians chapter 2 and also in Romans about faith. We are saved by grace through faith. And that being written from one that used to persecute the faith and was transformed into now a bold preacher of faith in Christ, causing people to blaspheme the name of Christ, to now preaching the name of Christ, changed his life. It's all about believing in Christ. It's all, that's, that's where our foundation has to start as a Christian. When we hear the gospel, do we believe it or are we going to reject it? You know, that's 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 something that, that, that uh, anyone who hears the gospel has that opportunity. Am I going to believe this or am I going to reject it? It's all about believing in Christ, the bread of life. Verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Uh, what work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. Uh, and it's ri- uh, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So here they are. Like, hey, what are you going to do? Hey, here's a suggestion. How about some bread? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That, that's, what they're, that's what they're saying here. What sign are you going to perform then? Hey, they ate bread. What, you, you know, you got another meal up your sleeve or what? You know, they had short memories. He had just fed them. And, uh, you know, Shane and I were talking about this last week that, that you know, uh, a w- Jesus's response when uh, there had been a, a request for uh, for miracles to be done. And Jesus said, uh, a, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and uh, there shall be no sign given to it. There's more to it, but it's, it's straight up that when, when you're running around just trying to watch magic shows. Uh, there's something wrong with your heart when you're not understanding that the Lord is at work and he's doing something powerful. So they wanted a free meal. They wanted to be entertained. You know, what are you going to do? What's next? You know, that was the approach they had and they, they liked the meal they had yesterday. So they, uh, they thought, Hey, you know what, we're going to put in that request and you know, they, they wanted to see and, and experience. I mean, we all, everybody wants to experience something cool, but they're not understanding that there's something more happening here. And uh, so the Lord uh, addresses that. Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus had just given them bread to satisfy their bodily hunger. And uh, now uh, he uses that to explain that there's a greater need in their lives that he can meet. And he sets the record straight. Moses didn't provide uh, for the wandering Israelites. God did. God, God used Moses to lead them, but Moses wasn't the one, you know, whipping up the manna and, you know, throwing out his hand and manna, just manna fell from the sky. Right. And uh, manna in and of itself is, is, is a miraculous meal for them that they were fed with every day as they're wandering. They have this bread there and uh, it's called manna, manna, the word means what is it? They were trying to figure out what it was. Hey, it tastes good. We're going to eat it. And So, so, uh, an important thing about manna is it was only good for that one day, and then it would rot. Remember, they tried to they tried to you know, build it up here. Hey, we haven't eaten for a while. Throw some more in here, and it's rotten the next day. And there's a lesson there. You know, uh, they, they would. There was uh, t- in preparation for the Sabbath, they could grab two days, but they couldn't just start hoarding all this stuff, and they uh, because then where's their trust in the bread that they have ra- rather than the God that's providing it, right? It was a huge spiritual lesson for us right there. The point was daily daily reliance upon God is what he taught them. Daily reliance upon him. There's a lesson for us. They needed that bread. They needed that bread. They had to have that bread daily. And the Lord was providing it. There wasn't anything they could do. They couldn't store it up. They couldn't, you know, shove it away. Nobody could grab it and try to sell it. We never saw that in the last two years, right? Remember what toilet paper did when COVID started? I remember. I remember seeing a a, a picture of this truck driving with a whole pile of toilet paper. You know, and they're dry. Everybody's just prepared for just absolute craziness and selfishness is what happened, right? Selfishness, whether they were going to keep it all or just ex, ex, uh, extort everybody and be like, "Oh yeah, this toilet paper, hundred bucks a roll." You know, everybody needs it. You know. Believe me, I live with four ladies. We go through toilet paper like nothing. So, and that's that's just what it is. You know, the selfishness that comes out. So there's a spiritual lesson, a wonderful spiritual lesson of daily reliance upon the Lord. God is our provider, not man. So remember, after some time, Israel starts tiring of manna and they start whining. And uh, so they, uh, you know, this free daily provision is just not enough. I'm tired of eating this. So tired of this. We should just go back into slavery. The leeks and the onions. Oh, they were so great. Yeah, and the whipping and the you know the fact that you were slaves. You know, it just it's amazing what our past life will try to draw us back to. Don't ever listen to it. God is a provider, not man. You know, and uh, they had they had also witnessed water, and and they were they, so sorry. When you go back to manna, you know, the Lord heard that heard that complaint, gave them quail. Remember what happened with quail? And they're stuffing it in so much they got sick. They got sick from it. Yeah. yeah the Lord, Another lesson from the Lord there. They also had the water uh, provided for them from the rock that followed them. Now, just thinking a rock following people. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses In the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. That a rock was producing water. I don't know. Have you ever cracked a rock open and seen water? It's about as dry as it comes, right? But the Lord miraculously providing through a rock to teach a lesson of Christ. Thirty-two. I have 32B on here. The second half of verse 32 says, "My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Manna was to sustain and, and nourish their bodies. It was to temporarily save them from physical death. That's what that's what manna was designed to do. That's what food is to sustain us and to nourish us. But Christ explains there's a need for more than the carnal and physical and Jesus continues to set the record straight with them. You know, he speaks of a, a superior food that was uh, is uh, than that which is uh, consumed. You know, there's something more that we need in our lives than that which we, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, right? There's something or someone that provided eternal life, and the Lord is explaining that to them. In verse 33, it says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. So the bread of God is he who comes down uh, from heaven and, and gives life to the world, he says. He declared the bread of God to be a person. So they're not getting the spiritual lesson. Does this sound familiar from uh, when, when Jesus was talking with a woman at the well? She's not understanding the difference between what Jesus was talking about that 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 water that that would quench that thirst forever you know give me that so I don't have to come to the well remember she's like can I have that I'm tired of carrying this stuff can I have that water and he's talking so much he's talking about the salvation of her soul that he is the one that can provide every day for them you know christ is he's he's speaking of what he says here uh if you go back to thirty three he says for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. He's once again speaking of his pre-existence and that he is eternal. So they're sitting here and their minds are getting blown. Verse 34, uh, if you if you look at 34, it says, Then he said to them, Lord, give us this bread always. And and like I said, these people, just like the woman at the well, they're they're kind of carnally minded. They're wondering, okay, yeah, great. What are we gonna eat? You know, how are we gonna take care of that? Everything the Lord has a different lesson for them, and in verse thirty-five, he Jesus, um, and Jesus uh, said to them, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst." He declares himself to be the bread of life, and he identifies himself. I am the bread, that bread of life. It's another I, I am statement. Remember when we got when we started in John, there are the seven miracles and the seven I am statements. Of, of Christ this is this is one of them I am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst he's claiming to be uh, the one and only sustenance that can nourish a spiritual need within mankind people have described it as a, a god-shaped whole Jesus is saying I'm the one to meet this need you know you have you have a need that you don't understand it, it, what we see here is that the Lord is getting uh, to, you know, they're like, can we, can we just have some bread that right? That's why that Jesus said, you, you don't, you're following me because you ate bread yesterday, you know, and, and he's got a, he's got a much more important uh, lesson for them. And he's, he's claiming to be that one. And, you know, in Christ is a spiritual satisfaction of all mankind. You know, that everybody who's searching for uh, that thing that they need in their life is found in Christ he states in verse 36 uh, that they had seen him and they don't believe. They have the answer right in front of them and don't even know it. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing. But should raise it up at the last day, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of God and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So he's once again claiming equality with God, that he is equal to God when he says uh, when he says what he's saying in verse thirty seven, the beginning of it. All that the Father gives me, uh, that the Father gives me, uh, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will uh, by no means cast out. So what he's saying is the father's giving to me and he's that, another statement of equality. And he explains that God is drawing them to, to him and uh, he'll by no means cast them out. He's not about to turn people away. But as Peter wrote, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want people to perish, uh, but you know, they won't accept it. You know, so when you're reading and, and when when Peter wrote that in 2 Peter 3, 9, he's not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. It's important to understand that he doesn't want anybody to perish, but that all should uh, could come, should come to him and come to repentance. He doesn't desire it, but he allows it for their free will. So. Uh, You know some will argue that uh, he won't allow them to perish that's incorrect and it's false doctrine and that's universalism and we're not going to dive into that too too much here. We are going to have a deeper discussion uh, regarding uh, I said it last week Calvinism and Arminianism and I'm going to present both and uh, and we'll talk about them but uh, I found an excerpt in my in my studies I wanted to share with you It says in the same way God does not desire anyone to perish he desires all to come to repentance At the same time, God recognizes that not everyone will come to repentance. It is undeniable that many will perish. Matthew 7, Jesus said that. Rather than being a a contradiction to what we just read in Peter, God's electing and drawing of some to salvation is evidence that he truly does not desire people to perish. Uh, were it not for the election and the eventual and the effectual calling of God, everyone would perish. So, we've, John 6:44. We're going to get to it. Romans 8:29 and 30 talk about God drawing. It's important for us to understand a balance that's needed in our lives as we read the Scripture and we understand the Scripture. There are two extremes that we're going to cover. Calvinism, Arminianism, and we're going to get into that here in just a few minutes. And I'm going to try to be brief because I have a lot to to cover here. Verse 31, then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? So remember we talked about familiarity breeds contempt. We've we've discussed that before. Hey, we know this guy. He, He can't be anything too special. We know him. You know, maybe there's a lady there. Hey, I remember changing his diaper or, you know, maybe they saw Jesus take his first walk or they saw him as a kid. Whoever did, they they knew Jesus, they were familiar with him because they're saying here saying, uh, you know, how can he say this? But, you know, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? No, actually, he's the son of God uh, and the son of Mary. Um, but and, and the mother whom we know. You know we, we know this guy and um I might have you know, might have seen him who knows I and mean, that was just more uh, speculation it's not that any of these claim to be there you know when Jesus was walking or, or you know learning to why anything those things but what we see here is that they're blind to spiritual things once again referring to carnality and and, and uh, the earthly so their statements show their unbelief because they're they're rejecting him just because they know him and they're saying, well, we know who he is, so there's no way he could be the Messiah. He has to be this mystic that comes out of a tree or you know a cloud or something. That's, that's who he's got to be. It couldn't be somebody that we know. Verse 30, uh, 43 says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, this would have ruffled some feathers with the Jews because they believed, hey, you know, I, I, we're already, we're, we're good to go. We're Jewish. You know, they believe that because of their bloodline, they're automatically in right standing with God. And we understand from the scriptures that's not the case. You know, Israel as a whole uh, were God's chosen people and a vessel for uh, that, that He used, and that the Messiah would come through them. But they're not the only ones He loved so that that whole mindset of uh was was probably just uh the, what Jesus had just said it probably rocked them a little bit and this is uh you know the lord is is showing here that uh you know when he says that nobody so going back to um verse forty four says no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day so uh Jesus is saying that that the Father and He are one, and uh you know they they there can't be a belief in uh their own uh their own you know good deeds or anything he's saying that that God is going to draw so God calls us; He draws us, and we respond. And it's it's not us uh, just deciding to, to look for God. And uh, so, just understanding that uh, we can be confident in sharing the gospel. It's not our job to decide who is saved and how. You know, God God doesn't you know call us to to be the one that that. Uh, is is forcing somebody to decide whether they're going to follow the Lord or not? You know, we're supposed to be just uh, be willing vessels and share, and and uh, God's going to do the work in their own heart and um, using uses willing vessels. And you know, God draws; he doesn't he doesn't drag people. You know, he he calls to the heart. He doesn't drag them, saying, oh, you're going to be saved whether you like it or not." You know, that's 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 forcing His will upon us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Hopefully you have it up there, right? Just to kind of look at and... This drawing is not irresistible grace. It's the Lord calling uh, to the heart when people hear the gospel." And it's, it's not only man's decision to seek God and it's, it, there's that combination of God working and, and having a choice. Verse uh, uh, I have a, another excerpt here and, and uh, you know, all those that, that have come to Jesus and drawn by the Father will receive eternal life and uh, will be uh, resurrected at the last day. that's that last part, portion you know that God will draw them and in the last day he will raise them up. Verse 44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father has drawn him. Now, I I talked about this discussion of Calvinism and Arminianism. And uh, what it is, it's a a discussion between God's sovereignty uh, and man's responsibility. If you're not familiar with the two, I'm going to, as briefly as I can, touch on this. If you need more um, uh, understanding of Calvary chapels, uh, stance on this, my stance on this, and what's going to be preached here, I can provide for you a pamphlet that Chuck Smith wrote. It's uh, like 16 pages. It's perfect reading material for me, uh, and uh, you can read you can read it very quickly. But there's an understanding what he does is he presents both sides and then explains that Calvary Chapel is right in the middle. Yes, the, the scripture says this. The uh, scripture also says this. Understanding that Calvinism and Arminianism, them the that. Uh, them in and of themselves, uh, have caused uh, for the past 16, 600 years division within the church. And there's never been any ironclad right. We can claim victory. We've done this right. Or, but it's caused 600 years of division within the church. We're right. No, we're right. No, we're right. We're right. Oh, oh we're supposed to be ministering people and loving them. Oh, I forgot all about that. I was too busy being right. Right, there, so so there's stuff here that we're going to talk about. I'm going to define the five points of each belief system, Armenianism and in uh, Calvinism, and and uh, but we should understand that the focus of the church should be on unity in love and glorifying God. That's that's what the church should be focused on: being united in love and glorifying God. That's what we're called to, instead of being right and wrong and uh, full of pride on one side or the uh, or the other. So our Arminius uh, the, uh, they came up with the five points in the Calvinists, as a response to, uh, him after, uh, uh, Calvin was dead, came up with their own. So I'm going to describe them both. Uh, Casey's actually going to pull something up here and hopefully, uh, hopefully that's readable. If you need to see more, uh, it's very simple. You can just do a Google thing. That's where I found it. Uh, just describes the five points of each. Okay. So the first point is depravity. Calvin speaks of a total depravity of man. Man is uh, in absolute bondage to sin and Satan, unable to exercise his own will to trust in Jesus Christ without the help of God. Okay, that's Calvin's stance on uh, the first one there, total depravity. So Calvin is br- broken down, Calvinism is broken down into tulip, uh, five, five points of Calvinism. Uh, so you can get into, uh, it helps you understand it rem- and uh, remember it a little bit better. Uh, Arminius is a partial uh, partial depravity, and, and it speaks more of free will, uh, stating that the fall of man is not total, uh, that man is uh, good enough uh, that, that we can accept Jesus on our own, that we can come to that. So there's enough good in us that we can still accept Jesus. Okay? So that's the first part, depravity, that total depravity. So in Calvinism, it would be the T. Uh, election is the next thing. So uh, for Calvinism, the you and tulip would be unconditional election. Says so, uh, so one way to under- understand it is that foreknowledge, and so Calvinism believes that foreknowledge is based upon the plan of God and purpose of God, and that election is not based on the decision of man, but the free will of the Creator alone. That man has nothing to do with it. That we are we are. I, I will say it this way, that we're robots, that we have no, no choice to make, that God will force his will upon. Uh, and Arminius uh, says that uh, election is, is conditional based on the foreknowledge of God as to who would believe. So man's act of faith was seen as the condition or, or his uh, being elected since God foresaw man's will to accept Christ. So there's the sovereignty of God versus man's will that uh to to be elect well you can be elect if you choose to be or the other on the other side it's no whoever's elect has no choice in it and that it's god's sovereignty are you seeing the polar opposites the extremes of both sides it's important to understand and we're going to get to it here to understand both of these it's important to understand them, but it's. it's I, I remember Jen was telling me that in, in one of her studies that she read Chuck Smith was talking about, and he spent days trying to figure out, okay, well, which one is right, and he's doing this. And at one point throws down his book and says, God, I can't understand this. And God spoke to him and said, I didn't call you to understand it. I, I, I called you to have faith in me and to follow me. There are things about God we're not going to understand. There are things about both of these arguments that make sense in some circumstances. This church will not stand in Calvinism, and this church will not stand in Arminianism. We're right in the middle, and that's where where we're told to be, and that's where I've been raised in my faith uh, through Calvary Chapel to remain right in the middle. Okay, yes, the Scripture says this, and the Scripture says this. We're not going to be of of division in here. Atonement is the next thing. So uh, Calvary—sorry, Calvary—Calvin— uh the l in uh tulip is limited that there's limited atonement. Jesus Christ died to save those who were given to him by the Father in eternity past that all of the elect that Jesus dies for will be saved, and all that he did not die for the non-elect will be lost so that's calvin's statement you're either he either died for the elect and the for the re- that that his his sin doesn't uh, sorry his sin. His sacrifice doesn't cover all, only the elect. Arminius is is unlimited. It's more that universal atonement that that God loves everybody and Christ died for everybody and God isn't willing that any should perish, but man has to exercise their free will to be saved. That's the Arminian uh, view of atonement. Now regarding grace, so the I and tulip for Calvinism is that grace is irresistible. So this is uh, Calvin's statement of of, of what they believe. That the Lord possesses irresistible grace that uh, cannot be obstructed. The free will of man is so far removed from salvation that the elect are regenerate, made spiritually alive by God even before expressing faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. If a totally depraved person wasn't made alive by the Holy Spirit, such a calling of God would be uh, impossible. Now, Arminius the Arminius side is that there's resistible grace, that God wants all to be saved. God sent the Holy Spirit to, to woo uh, all men to Christ. But since man is, has absolute free will, he is able to resist God, uh, God's will for his life, that God will save so uh, God's will to save will be frustrated by the finite will of man. That so there's irresistible grace and resistible grace. That that man has free will that can kind of override God's will. And then on the other side is there's there's nothing that can override uh, God's grace. That he's just it's going to be irresistible. You can't you can't resist it. Salvation the P. Uh, for on the calvin side is uh is persistence of all the saints, so salvation what what they state is salvation is entirely the work of the Lord, and that man has absolutely nothing to do uh, with the process. The saints will persevere because God will see to it that he will finish the work that he has begun on the Arminian side, perseverance of some saints, the ability to fall from grace, if a man cannot be saved by God unless it is man's will to be saved, then man cannot continue in salvation until he continues to will to be saved. It's a conditional um, uh, a conditional salvation. So those those are the points. I'm not going to dive into that a whole lot as we move forward uh, through John. I wanted to present both of those. It's important that we understand because how many times have we ever been like, oh, the person's a Calvinist like what the heck is Calvinist? You know, it's from you know Calvin was alive in the late 1500s into the early 1600s, and um, uh, you know right around that area. And same with um, with uh, uh, now as far as uh, understanding who they were, uh, I, I put them on here: John Calvin, French theologian uh, who lived 1509 to 1564; uh, Jacobus uh, Jacobus or Jacobus uh, Arminius, uh, a Dutch theologian uh, who lived uh, from uh, 1560 to 1609. Now that, uh, Ar- Arminius is actually a, uh, a Latin name that was attached to him. So, so I wanted to present those both. Okay. And those both uh, what I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't write any of that. That was copy paste from Chuck Smith's handout. Uh, that man spoke and taught the Bible for, I don't know, 60 years. And he wrote this pamphlet so that the church can have an understanding of, of the arguments of both sides. And then he explains Calvary Chapel's stance on this. So this is really as far as I'm going to go. I'm at like five minutes. So I need to get in Calvary Chapel's perspective. The Calvary Chapel, and, and the way Chuck described this, is that uh, it's not to take sides and partake in division of the body over human interpretations. That's Calvary Chapel's stance on it. That will be my, ch- my stance and the church's stance here, as, uh, at least as long as I'm here. Uh, regarding depravity, we see in Romans three twenty three, all are sinners. That we can't earn our salvation. Uh, Titus three five tells us uh, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of the regenerate of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Regarding Depravity, or the wages of sin are death. So this is Calvary's, Calvary's belief, is that the wages of sin are death. is death. Uh, apart from God's grace, nobody can be saved. None are righteous or capable of doing good, from Romans chapter 3. Apart from the conviction and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, no one can be saved. John 1, John 16, 1 Peter chapter 1. Mankind clearly is in a fallen state, lost in sin. Regarding election, Calvary Chapel stands. God chose the believer before uh, regarding God uh, that Calvary Chapel's stance on this is, God chose the believer before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, he having predestined, uh, this is just reading the scripture, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of, of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Hopefully that was up there, right? Yeah. Good. Uh, based on his foreknowledge, he has predestined the believer to be conformed into the image of his son. Romans 8:29, 29 verse and, and uh, 30 say, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many uh, brethren. Uh, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called; uh, from uh, uh, whom he called, these he also justified; whom he justified, these he also glorified. God offers salvation to all who call on His name. Romans ten thirteen: For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God calls to Himself those who will believe in the Son. His son Jesus Christ. First Corinthians one nine says, "God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His son, Jesus Christ, our Lord." However, the Bible does uh, teach that in, uh, an invitation goes out to all, but there are very few that accept it. And we see this uh, this balance throughout the Scripture. Revelation twenty two verse seventeen says, "Whoever deny, uh, desires, let him take the water of life freely." First Peter one two says elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty-two fourteen says, For many are called, but few are chosen. God clearly does choose, but man must also accept God's invitation to salvation. That's Calvary Chapel's stance on it. God calls. Man has the choice of whether or not to... You guys, you've got to understand, 600 years of church division over these things. 600 years. That's a long time. We're not going to solve that one Sunday morning. Okay? And nor are we going to spend the time doing that. I warn against both sides, getting all excited about one side. Yes, we should protect ourselves against false doctrine. We should protect ourselves against diving into one of these and saying, this is right, this is right, and all that stuff. The focus should be... Unity and love and praising God. Okay? If somebody comes in and says, Hey, is, is Jesus really the, the savior of the world? Okay, now you know they're questioning that. We may not be brothers and sisters. We may have brothers and sisters that lean more towards Calvinism, more that lean towards Arminianism. Whatever. Okay, let's not let's not cause division over it. I mean we can have some good some proper discussion, those things, but we're not gonna let this divide this church. We're not going to, do. it's important that we not jump into and, oh, you know, that I, if I just start up here teaching Calvinism, that hey, it doesn't matter. The people who are the special people are the only ones that are going to be saved. The other ones, oh, they're just fuel for the fires of hell, right? Or just saying, well, you know, free will, you know, it, it's, you can go on either side and go, both of them are dangerous. Okay. It's important to understand this. Regarding atonement, Calvary Chapel stance, and I'm going to fast forward through this, but we believe that Jesus Christ died as a propitiation, a sancti- uh, which which is sanctification of, uh, 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 sorry, satisfaction of the righteous wrath of God against sin for the whole world. That Jesus Christ died as a propitiation for the whole world, and that He redeems and forgives all who will believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation from sin, death, and hell. And those are supported by Ephesians 1:7 1, 1 Peter 1 verses 18 and 19. We believe that the eternal that eternal life uh, is a gift of God, Romans 6:23 and that whosoever believes in Jesus will not perish but will have eternal life so whosoever and we understand that God uh, the Bible speaks of a predestination based on his foreknowledge but we also see whosoever. All right, there's, there's going to be arguments on both sides. Understanding that that atonement, we can't look at it and go, well, it's limited or unlimited and, and these things. We just, you know what, there's some things that we're going to understand that th- some things we're not. But it's important for us to understand that God uh, God is, he's got it all figured out. It may warp, it may it may make our minds spin, but it doesn't his. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ was clearly sufficient to save the entire human race. Jesus said th- those words, whosoever, whoever now regarding grace. And then we're going to wrap this up <clears throat> Calvary chapel. We believe that God's grace is not the result of human effort or worthiness based on Romans three verses 24 uh, through 28 and 11, 16, but is the response of God's mercy and love for those who will believe in his son. So uh, you know, God gives us what we do not deserve, uh, nor can earn uh, by our performance. Romans eleven sixteen. We believe that God's grace and mercy can be resisted by us. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, this is K- uh, King James, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them. Uh, who are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen with her chickens under her wing? And ye would not. You know, we're, we're, we're not condemned because we have no opportunity to be saved, but a person is condemned because he makes the choice not to believe. It's right. It's all throughout the scripture uh, that you see uh, John chapter 5, verse 40 says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. It's all through there. There, you're going to find scriptures on either side, okay, regarding perseverance. And then we're going to wrap this up. We believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, it's probably going to sound familiar, 8 verses uh, 38 and 39, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1. We believe that the promise of Jesus in God, uh, in, uh, we believe in the promise of Jesus in, in John uh, twenty. Uh, 10 verses 27 through 28 It's very clear. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But we also un- uh, know that we're deeply concerned with the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 verses 21 uh, through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. And he goes on and he talks about, you know, those that, that uh, were obedient to him and, and, and followed him. And uh, you're saying, didn't we do all these works? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. 2 Timothy 2, uh, verses, uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 12 says, if we deny him, he will deny us. So it's important, and I'm wrapping this up right now, it's important to understand a Bible-centered balance and uh, these uh, difficult issues is of great importance. This is another copy uh, from Chuck Smith. It's not easy to maintain the unity of spirit among us in these matters. Uh, it seems that the sovereignty of God and human responsibility are like two parallel lines that, are, that do not seem to intersect within our, our finite minds. But scripture tells us that the wisdom from above will be loving and kind toward all, seeking the unity of the believers, not trying to find ways to divide and separate one another. As I said, 600 years of separation and no one can claim victory. Uh, but it's important to understand both. And that, you know, a Calvinist is going to come up and say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, an Arminian is going to say, well, you know, I can do what I want. And, uh, and uh, I decide whether I this and that and just understand them both. Ultimately, uh, one, one part of study that I did, I, I like the way they described it. U- ultimately, both systems fail and that they attempt to explain the unexplainable. Human beings are incapable of fully grasping a concept such as this. Yes, God is absolutely sovereign and knows all. Yes, human beings are called to make a genuine decision to place faith in Christ unto salvation. These two facts seem contradictory to us, but in the mind of God, they make perfect sense. Again, the t- focus of the church should be on unity and love and glorifying God instead of being right and full of pride on either side. We're gonna have to pick up in verse forty six because I'm already five minutes over um, I, and then we'll we'll finish that up and uh, finish out the chapter. I had planned to get a little bit further, but shocker. Uh, I didn't because I, I talked too much, so just imp- just understand. When Jesus is talking about he is the bread of life, he is the one that can give us everything we need spiritually. Then that when we found Christ, there's no more searching needed. Dive into him, dive into the scriptures. Understand that there are belief systems, extremes on either side that yeah, it's okay to understand them and that's I'm not going to do that breakdown I don't believe that I I may never do it again. I might do it personally. Um uh, and just and really what I'm going to do is we're going to open up Chuck Smith's flyer and do it because that's the best one that I've ever seen. is it just explains both and where do we believe uh, where where does Calvary Chapel stand on this? There are some calvaries uh, that might uh, want to you know sway one way or the other. That's up to them. For me, Chuck Smith uh, was used by the Lord to found uh, to uh, to found found find uh to to establish the first calvary chapel and uh that the lord used him to to uh, to spread calvary chapel around we're i call us the non-denominational denomination but uh that's just a joke there but just understanding his explanation of calvinism and arminianism has the amount i want to read about 16 pages uh in a pamphlet Uh, because I I, I will say this, it's important to understand them, and it's important to understand the the extremes of both. Uh, It's more important for us to know our Savior and to reflect him in our conduct, okay? We can have a stronger desire. If you see me up here teaching heavy uh, constantly on this side, say, John, I thought we were in the middle, then come up and talk to me. But the goal will always be to be in the middle of that, because I believe after reading what Chuck had to say, praying, and it's not like the first, this is the first time I've ever looked into this. But as a pastor trying to describe it and getting it to a point, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to copy and paste what Chuck wrote because it's brilliant. He explains both sides and it says on the script, you can see in the scripture it says this. The scripture also says this. Calvary Chapel stance is right in the middle because a 600-year year division within the church over these things. Uh, is is uh, w- you know should we d- imagine dividing this church right in half and being like all right see you guys never gonna see you we're not, never gonna see you again we'll never be in fellowship again over man's interpretation now we're gonna take the word of God and follow the word of God Amen Amen let's pray Father we thank you so much. For your word, and Lord, we uh, we praise you that uh, that there are times where we may not understand uh, this or that and whatever it is, but we know that we can just come to you and say, hey Lord, my faith remains in you, and I'm going to walk with you." Praise you for who you are. Thank you that we have your word to to learn from and to grow. Lord, that we can see these men were obedient to you, and yet still faced a a, a great storm. Witness the miraculous of of you walking out. Oh Lord, that there's so many lessons for us to learn and to understand. Help us, Lord, if we're following you to not be discouraged if, if we do face when we do face a storm, because we, we know we will, but to trust in you and keep our eyes set upon you. Praise your name, God. We thank you. We pray you bless the rest of our day today in Jesus' name. Amen.